age cannot wither her, nor custom stale her infinite variety. Hey there, and welcome to Her Infinite Variety, the podcast that covers Shakespeare from a feminist perspective. I'm your host, Aaron Grunfeld, an obsessive fan of Shakespeare's plays. One thing almost everybody knows about Shakespeare is that he didn't work with women. In London 400 years ago, all the female roles were played by boys, and a woman didn't go on stage in one of Shakespeare's plays until almost 50 years after he died. To balance the scales, on her infinite variety, I speak to the women in New York who are producing Shakespeare's plays. The actors, directors, designers, critics, and academics who bring Shakespeare to life in 21st century New York City. This is the first episode of the 2018 summer season, so naturally enough, I'm starting with Shakespeare in the Park. The first play at the venerable New York institution is Othello, and it's the first Othello at the Delacorte to be directed by a black man, Ruben Santiago Hudson. He's never played Othello himself to my knowledge, but he did play another of Shakespeare's jealous husbands, Leontes, in The Winter's Tale in 2008. His daughter in that production was Heather Lind. That same season, Heather played Jessica to Al Pacino's Shylock in The Merchant of Venice. She's done some off-Broadway plays and a few TV shows since then, including Boardwalk Empire. This month, she's Desdemona in Othello, and the guest on this week's episode of Her Infinite Variety. Othello is one of Shakespeare's high tragedies, written around the same time as Macbeth, but it's more of a domestic drama than a historical epic. Othello, a black general from North Africa, has married an Italian aristocrat, Desdemona, and led her city to victory against the Turks. A soldier, Iago, decides to undermine his general by gaining his confidence and then deceiving him into believing that Desdemona is unfaithful. The depiction of a black man's emotional instability isn't clear-cut, but it's got ugly implications, especially since it ends in his wife's murder. I spoke by phone with Heather about Desdemona and about race, domestic violence, and, as always, Shakespeare's views on women. We started with Heather's first impressions about Desdemona and her discoveries about the character during rehearsals. What struck me at first, actually, was just the way that she's written. She's incredibly formal in her meter in lots of moments in the play, especially emotional moments. She kind of has the ability to keep within a form really well. It really gave me a sense of her education of her breeding, you know, how much money she had or what her expectations were. And her ability to be articulate really struck me, especially in moments of high pressure. So I liked that about her. And I I found that was a way for me to use the text and her meter and the way that Shakespeare wrote her as a way to elevate her above my vague preconceptions of her as being a kind of pushover. (laughs) So that was really useful. And anytime I can dig out from inside the text evidence of her unconventionality or her surprising strengths, I feel like those things can be more trusted because they were kind of baked into the play already. And we all really worked together to bring out those parts of the text that spoke to her really being able to meet Othello and why he loves her has something to do with her strengths and her fearlessness and her intelligence. 
And so that's how we started unearthing her. And I, I ended up feeling very, very connected to and inspired by Desdemona. I think she takes great risks and she's also incredibly accountable to her decisions, which I find you don't always see in great risk takers. <laughs> you know, you sometimes get the chance to play women who jump off a cliff or women who destroy everything. For me, I felt it was a new experience to play someone who broke the rules, but then has the emotional intelligence to help clean them up. In a way, it's also her tragedy because she falls victim to the very rules that she ends up respecting. Broadly speaking, Desdemona is the same type of character as Ophelia and Cordelia and the prototype Lavinia from Titus Andronicus, an innocent, faithful girl whose suffering enhances her father's tragedy. That facet of the character was on Heather's mind when she took the role. Before I started working on this, I didn't have a lot of preconceived ideas about who Desdemona was. I had only ever seen one professional production of it, and in my sort of vague memory of her, she was a little bit of a wallflower, like bending to a man's will and you know doing a lot of things that I saw in stories about women, but I, I didn't really have any understanding of her backbone. This presumption about Desdemona's sentimental victimhood is pretty common, but it's more of a Victorian retcon than part of the original Elizabethan dramaturgy. By eloping with Othello, Desdemona actually begins the play with an act of rebellion against the patriarchy, literally. Here are her first lines in the play. My noble father, I do perceive here a divided duty. To you I am bound for life and education. My life and education both do learn me how to respect you. You are the lord of duty. I am hitherto your daughter. But here's my husband. And so much duty as my mother showed to you, preferring you before her father. So much I challenge that I may profess due to the moor, my lord. That was an extremely young Maggie Smith who played Desdemona on film in 1965, opposite Laurence Olivier in Blackface. Heather discussed the importance of that scene in establishing Desdemona's character as distinct from the other tragic young women in Shakespeare's plays. Well, I think her very first speech in the play, it's really her first try at being publicly disobedient. And she does it to her father, Brabantio, and she explains to him and in front of a court of men and in front of her new husband that she's made the decision to run away with Othello, to marry him. And at the time, intermarrying was really unheard of. We're, we're loosely setting it at that time period. So the decision for her to present this rebellion to everybody in a very formal way really speaks to her spirit and to her clarity of purpose. And the language really supports that in that moment, too. I mean, she explains to her father very clearly. She doesn't say she loves him, but she respects him. And she now also needs to respect her husband more because that is part of her duty as a wife. You know, she's the beginning of what Cordelia becomes in Lear later, I think. I've never played her, but it feels like Shakespeare was interested in young women who broke the rules, but then very respectfully explained what they had done to their fathers. And you know, I've played Jessica in The Merchant of Venice, and she doesn't do any of that. She runs away in the middle of the night with Lorenzo and never speaks to her father again. So I think 
it's interesting to see how all of these different women behave. And I think what's particularly unique about Desdemona is she does something she knows will draw scorn and she does it anyway. And not only that, but she shows her face to explain herself without apology. She has really, in that moment, a lot of agency in her life. And then I think later in the play, we see her contradict Othello in many ways that in her understanding, I think she believes being a good wife is not just doing what her husband wants, but it's challenging her husband. You know, she says to him later in the play, she's lost her handkerchief and he's acting very strangely and she doesn't know why. She says to him, why do you speak so startlingly and rash? You know, she calls him out. She's not somebody who just lets an insult go by. That taught me a lot about what kind of woman she believes she is, what kind of woman she wants to be. And Ruben and Chuck and I kept trying to cultivate moments where we see evidence in the text that she was a good partner. She was trying to keep their marriage together, despite what seemed to be complete madness coming from Othello. So there are little moments throughout the play, and even her protests in her final scene before she gets murdered. She's extremely strong. She fights for the truth. She never runs out of the room. She never calls for help. She tells Othello very clearly, I didn't do this. I didn't give it to Cassio. Your your information is wrong. And she fights to the very end for that and loses, unfortunately. Othello's murder of Desdemona is riveting in performance and a challenge for the actor just on a practical level. It takes her about 50 lines to expire, and then she lies on stage as a corpse for another 250 lines. It is interesting that Shakespeare wrote it that way. There's a little argument between Amelia and Othello while she's lying on the ground, and Othello also speaks over her dead body for a while. Contemporary medical evidence supports Shakespeare in this moment. I did some research online before we started rehearsals that I don't really recommend, but I I was curious about the symptoms of asphyxiation. I didn't have a great concept of what happens to a person when they're smothered or when they lose their ability to breathe. So I just did a, a kind of dark search online. I discovered that typically when people are asphyxiated, from what I understand, they lose consciousness before they die. Your body tries to protect itself when it has no oxygen and it becomes unconscious to preserve the vital functions of the person. So they become unconscious and then after a period of time, sometimes the the person's automatic ability to breathe will kick back in if they're no longer being asphyxiated. So the way we understood it is that he smothers her and then we've been playing that I, I lose consciousness. It's probably three minutes or something like that, four minutes. It feels like a long time. We've been playing that there's some kind of internal injury. So a broken rib or a punctured lung has happened and she comes back to consciousness for a brief moment to understand her situation and then to have the final moments of her life, which I think are famous that she never accuses Othello, even though she has the opportunity to expose him. And then she dies. So that's how we've been playing with it. But it was something we had to talk a lot about in rehearsal. Heather mentioned a really interesting facet of that scene. Desdemona pointedly refuses to accuse Othello of her murder. Here's a clip of Uta Hagen, who played the role opposite Paul Robeson on Broadway in 1944. 
the lass, what cry is that? That what? Out in the lass, that was my lady's voice. Help, help. Oh, help. Oh, lady, speak again. Sweet Desdemona. Oh, sweet mistress, speak. Guiltless death I die. Who hath done this deed? It's interesting to note the contrast between that Amelia's heightened poetic style of playing and Hagen's calmer, more realistic delivery. That was one of the tectonic shifts in Shakespearean acting in the last century, and Hagen was at the forefront. Anyway, Desdemona's death scene is one of Shakespeare's most moving and effective scenes, but from a modern perspective, the murder can undercut Othello's own tragedy. After all, it's hard to sympathize with a man who baselessly murders his wife and that it depicts black male violence enacted upon a white woman plays into some awful stereotypes. Heather had some observations about the play's staging of domestic violence. Interesting. I had an opportunity a few years ago, the public theater produced uh, a panel discussing the play of Othello, have a conversation about domestic violence in the play, and we spoke with a novelist who writes about domestic violence, and we also spoke with someone who ran a halfway house for women in the witness protection program. And it was a very interesting program and panel to be a part of because I had never seen her as a domestic violence victim, and I didn't know the play terribly well before that moment. It, it, just, it was an interesting lens, and they brought up this, this last bit of the play. So I was very aware that it has some controversy surrounding it in terms of how we deal with victims and particularly women who are abused by their husbands. So I knew that I really wanted to have a good understanding about what that moment was for me. I knew that for me, it couldn't be about letting him off the hook. The meaning of it had to be that the murder that he did, he was already condemned for that essentially in his soul or in before his God or the truth essentially would condemn him. His own internal sense of what he had done was already destroying him. And then in acting it, it takes on a whole other color because it's really hard to go through the murder scene as an actor and a person and keep yourself safe. It's hard, it's scary. It's combat, you know, stage combat, obviously. It's difficult physically. And when I get to that point in the play where I've done all that, I've died, and then I've come back to life essentially, I just felt the exhaustion and when you have no breath to speak the truth, when you can't explain or put into words an experience you're having, trying to get inside of that moment, I ended up feeling in a way that I had accused him. In a way, I've used the language to tell the truth, even if my words couldn't say it. Amelia asks me, who, who did this to you? And I say, nobody. I, myself, and then I say goodbye to Amelia. So the nobody, I, myself, both separated by a period, very distinct statements. I decided that nobody really just was a way to discredit him. I use it to diminish him, diminish his power over me, put him down, make him unimportant to my life suddenly because this is the last moment of my life. And I think in that moment, I don't feel I 
can or want to make it about him. So that's how I've interpreted it. And then I, I also think there's an element of what I said earlier about Desdemona being incredibly accountable to her decisions. I don't think she blames herself for being murdered. I don't think that's the right way to interpret it. But I think there's an element of owning her, even in her death, even if she was murdered, owning herself and owning that she's still in control of her own fate. Those two ways of dealing with that language felt like a way to grasp for my last strands of power. Because I think that Desdemona also knows Othello quite well and knows that he won't be able to live with himself after this. That essentially his life is over too. So that's how I understood it. And it is very mysterious why she has no more to say than that. But in, in a way, I've come to see it as her retaining a great deal of dignity. And also, I think as a Christian, she believes her soul is seen in its entirety all the time, as is Othello's. She trusts God in that moment to hear her and to hold people accountable for their actions. And that's how the scene ends up playing out. Othello confesses right away. He argues that he did it for honor. And then at the very end, he realizes he will stand in judgment for this. A poor soul sat sighing by a sycamore tree, sing all a green willow. Her hand on her bosom, her head on her knee. The fresh streams ran by her and murmured her moans. Sing all a green willow. Her salt tears fell from her, which softened the stone. Lay by thee. Prithee, hide thee, he'll come anon. Let nobody blame him. His scorn I approve. Nay, that's not next. Hark, who is that knocks? No, it is the wind. I called my love. False love. And what said he then? Sing all a green willow. If I caught more women, you'll couch with more men. So, get thee gone. Mine eyes do itch. Does that bode weeping? Oh, it's neither here nor there. Oh, I've heard it said so. Oh, these men. These men. The clip in there was Maggie Smith once again, playing opposite Joyce Redman as Amelia. Redman earned an Oscar nomination for her Amelia, but she's most famous for eating a lusty dinner with Albert Finney in Tom Jones. Heather told me about how she discussed the women of Othello with her Amelia, Alison Wright. Alison Wright plays Amelia, and I talk about it all the time, that we are playing women who speak up. 
particularly Allison, who in a group of men says, no, I will not charm my tongue. I'm, I'm bound to speak. And I think both of us have really appreciated the ability to play women who say what's true, even if they know the truth is putting their lives at danger. And I think fortunately in this cultural moment where women are being listened to in a different way, it's a relief for me to be able to do this on stage every night. And it's also a relief to know that women have been doing it forever and paying for it with their lives. Similarly with Chuck and Iago and looking at the way that black men and women and people of color in our Western society are treated or mistreated rather and how they're abused and their lives begin at a disadvantage. It's unfathomable how long that's been going on and to be in a moment where we're at least able to talk about it in a smarter way than we used to or we are actually listening to the stories of those people more than we have before. I think it's really important to have those conversations and to see how Iago is the villain of this piece and he's not, there's no other side to Iago. Maybe Corey would have a different opinion about this, but he says, who are you to say that I'm a villain then? But then he goes on to make all these villainous decisions to destroy multiple people's lives. He really, he's the only one who lives. And you see this in cases all over now. Who are the people in our society who suffer? Who are the people who destroy other people? It's really been surprising how relevant the play still is um, and how complicated it is. Even for Chuck, I think, who plays Othello. It's a play that's laced with racism and misogyny all throughout it. I mean, Shakespeare was writing at a time when the culture was even more divided than it is now, possibly. Allison and I struggle every night with how it feels to be called a whore several times in one evening, what it feels to be told that we're liars. And, you know, that feeling just is, I think, under everyone right now. And so it's nice to be a part of that conversation and also try to look more closely at myself and how I've participated in an unequal society and how I've been the outcast of that society and just to look at myself more closely. It's been nice. From there, our conversation turned to female roles in Shakespeare more generally. A lot of the parts I've played have been in the younger side of the women. I missed Juliet, but I've worked on Ophelia in school. I got to play Jessica and Perdit. I feel like I'm aging slowly with Shakespearean women. But I think, in general, he wrote very complex women. And I know that because they're interesting to play. They don't seem minimized. If anything, they don't have as much power in the plays or as much agency as I wish they had. I always want the women to speak more in Shakespeare. There aren't a lot of long-winded soliloquies that women get in Shakespeare. And, and I think that's a shame because I'm always so curious about what they're thinking and what they can articulate. We often get to see every aspect of a male character's worldview. You know, we get to see their flaws. We get to see how much they love. We get to see their violence. We get to see their courage. You know, we get to see the injustice and we get to see everything of Hamlet's consciousness. But we, I always wish that I could get all of those aspects of Shakespeare's women. And I think 
in a way, if you can play enough of them, you really get a full picture of a woman. If you could play Lady M and Juliet, you would probably get the facsimile of a real person. You know, I I think that the colors Shakespeare wrote into women are incredible and astute. And in that way, there's no difference between his male and female characters. But, you know, I am one of five women in a company of 18. And that happens to me repeatedly at work, on television, in films. I find I'm always in a minority. And I think that just seems to be the mountain that we're still climbing. As we wrapped up our phone call, I asked Heather what other Shakespearean roles she'd like to take a crack at. I have been thinking a lot about Lady Macbeth recently. Uh, Maybe it's working on this play. Maybe it's just how in-depth Othello and Desdemona's marriage is in this play. Chuck and I were discussing how the marriage of Macbeth and Lady Macbeth, it's different, but it has a similar desperate passion, a similar alliance. I also just love how fearlessly vicious some of her decisions are. I just, I think anytime I get to play a woman who's not very accommodating is an exciting opportunity. So I'd love to play her. I'm thinking about male characters. Um, There's so many. I mean, obviously the bigger roles are really enticing because it'd be just fun to try those things out. Thanks very much to Heather Lind for speaking with me. Heather is Desdemona in Othello at the Delacorte Theatre in Central Park, June 2018. We also heard clips of Maggie Smith's Desdemona and Joyce Redman's Amelia from 1965, and of Uta Hagen's performance in 1944. The theme music for her infinite variety is Ron Ron by The Crystals, and behind me now is She Cries Your Name by Beth Orton. I'm Aaron Grunfeld, and this has been Her Infinite Variety. Thanks for listening. Falling from the western slopes to find yourself alone again Wondering where you have been Your lonely voice calls across the starlit coast Reaching out to be seen She cries